Psalm 119. We're going to focus on verses 9 through 16. A message entitled, Glorifying God by Treasuring His Word. Where did 2023 go, huh? Right? We look back on the year, and we don't want to look on the back. The reason why the, the rearview mirror is smaller than the, than the windshield, right? Remember that? Okay, so we don't want to look back and, and beat ourselves up too much. We can look back and see where God's intervened and worked in our lives. We can learn from the mistakes we've made, even from good things uh, that we've done. I know many of you, uh, you have an aversion to setting resolutions, but some of you are going to. How many of you set New Year's resolutions? Anybody going to admit to it? Am I the only one? And we're going to try. No, there's nothing wrong with setting resolutions. It's a good time anytime to, to kind of draw a line in the sand and say, I'm going to try to do this or not do this uh, going forward. It helps us to define purpose. Well, what are we here about? What are we, what are we about as believers in Jesus Christ? And when it comes to our purpose as individual Christians and to the church as a whole, I want you to understand that the most important truth, the most important thing that you can grasp is that you were created. You exist to glorify God. That's why we're here. We exist. We were created to glorify God. We live to glorify God. And, of course, Jesus Christ perfectly manifests the glory of God, and so we, must, we need to keep our eyes fixed on, you know, on Jesus throughout the year, always looking up to God and what God has done and what God can do for us rather than looking around at our circumstances or our situation. But then how do we glorify God and set the stage for gospel-centered effectiveness in our church ministries and for his blessings to be poured out upon us how do we, how do we go about that well certainly persistent dedicated passionate prayer continually crying out to god in prayer glorifies him and brings his blessings would you agree with that say amen if you agree with that so we, so we cry out to god we ought to what are we doing this we got to cry out to god so often to, for for a passion for a hunger for an insatiable thirst to make glorifying God our sole focus in everything that we do, everything that we say, everything that we think. And we glorify Him still in prayer as a way to glorify God we, we, as we continually cry out to Him, coming to Him not just when we're at the end of our proverbial rope, right? We're desperate for them to intervene because things are so uh, impossible, not just when things are tough, but all the time calling out for His glory to come down and fill this place, fill Richland Baptist Church, that we might be unified and energized and mobilized to love and serve and grow and give and go. And then, of course, another one would be genuine worship, another spiritual discipline that, that glorifies God, brings His blessings. Will we, will we be a church in 2024 that continues to wholeheartedly praise and worship God from the heart? Not just going through the motions, no holding back. Worshiping God with passion and spirit and, and in truth. Praising God with a desire, a thirst for what He alone can give. Praising God for His provision and power and for the promises we see in His Word. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, worship is pulling our affections off our idols and putting them on God. I like that quote. Worship is pulling our affections off our idols and putting them on God. John the Baptist said, He must increase, speaking of Jesus, and I must decrease. That's worship. Other critical areas we need to be about are, are, are bold witnessing and sacrificial discipleship, 
both certainly pillars of the church. No question about that. This church, any church, in a place where we hope to be, to be paramount, that we praise and glorify God. As we go about our daily lives, recognizing that we're His ambassadors. Say, I'm His ambassador. You're His ambassador, and, and you've been given the Great Commission to go and, and make disciples, right? And establishing relationships, which takes time. There comes that sacrifice when it comes to sacrificial discipleship. Making relationships with believers in, in all stages of spiritual growth to the idea that we might be able to disciple them to the point where they can make disciples. And certainly our obedience to our Father's commands in those two areas glorifies Him. We could talk about financial stewardship. We could talk about our role in maintaining unity in the body, how we can glorify God in those areas. But this morning, as we look ahead to 2024, I want us to consider what I suggest is the most important spiritual discipline we need to be about as believers, as a church family that glorifies God, and that is treasuring God's Word. Would you please stand and honor the reading of God's Word? The psalmist writes, How can a young man keep his way pure? by guarding it according to your word. And this is a prayer, remember. He's talking to God here. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts. And fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. This is a, a passage that we're perhaps familiar with, Lord. I pray you use it to speak fresh truth into our hearts and minds today. Uh, Father, we want a passion for your word. Not just to know it or not just to read it, not just to memorize it, Father, but to obey it. And we pray, Father, for your Holy Spirit to give us that passion. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. So let me ask you, beloved, when it gets right down to it, exactly how important is the Word? How important is the preaching and the teaching and the reading of the Bible to the life of local churches? Is it not important? Kind of important? One on the list of things that is important? My guess is that you're a Christian, you understand that God's Word is central to our faith. It, remember, it's God Himself who's speaking to us in the Scriptures. And I, and I hope you've heard it and said, heard it said often enough from this pulpit and perhaps in your classroom so that you, you've come to genuinely believe that the Word of God, rightly understood, is the, both the foundation and the final authority for everything we hold true. The foundation and the final authority for establishing a truly Christian worldview. But someone's going to ask. It's 2024. Things have changed a lot since the, since the New Testament's been written and certainly since the Old Testament's been written. Is the Bible itself sufficient to furnish us with a complete worldview in 2024? And don't, don't we need something more than just Scripture. Many Christians today seem to think that the Bible is neither modern enough nor sophisticated enough to equip people to live in these modern times. It's more prevalent than you may think. There's perhaps no other doctrine 
of all the doctrines under greater attack in the church of our generation than the sufficiency of Scripture. Even folks who claim to believe in the authority, the infallibility, the inerrancy of Scripture sometimes balk at affirming its sufficiency. And the result, the result is virtually the same as someone just outright denying biblical authority because it leads people away from Scripture in search of answers in other places, in search of other quote-unquote truth. So, so what do I mean? when I talk about this, the sufficiency of Scripture. I mean, if the Bible is a supreme guide for all matters of faith and conduct, and it gives us every truth we need for life and godliness. Our own Baptist faith and message puts it like this. I'd like for you to read this aloud with me. The Holy Bible was written by men divinely inspired and is God's revelation of Himself to man. It is a perfect treasure of divine instruction. It has God for its author, salvation for its end, and truth without any mixture of error for its matter. Therefore, all Scripture is totally true and trustworthy. It reveals the principles by which God judges us and therefore is and will remain to the end of the world the true center of Christian union and the supreme standard by which all human conduct, creeds, and religious opinions should be tried. All Scripture is a testimony to Christ, who is himself the focus of divine revelation. Amen. You ought to read that again sometime and contemplate the phraseology in there. And when you see this in, written down in the Baptist Faith and Message, there are about 30 or 40 verses underneath it listed to back up everything that's said in this particular uh, uh, spiel here on, uh, on scripture, Holy Scripture. But I want to tell you, beloved, the church in our day, by and large, simply does not believe that anymore. So many in our, in our day, even those who identify themselves as Christians, seem to assume that there's got to be more. This is 2024. Come on, we put a man on the moon in 1969. There's got to be more than Scripture. You've got to have something more than the Bible to help us cope in a modern world. And Christian bookstores are out there and websites offering e-books for our Kindles are everywhere and, and full of selections offering advice on almost every conceivable subject. There are self-appointed experts out there who claim to have discovered some deep new truth that's not revealed in, in Scripture and that they now become familiar faces on the evangelical landscape. The, the sufficiency of Scripture is and has been for some time under attack. And the effect on the collective worldview of the church has been devastating. And we see evidence of that in the fact that so many pastors and church leaders now doubt that sufficiency, uh, that the Scripture, excuse me, is a sufficient diet for the saints. It's got to give them something more. They want to supplement biblical teaching with entertainment, with ideas drawn from, from secular sources. Many apparently do not believe that studying and teaching and applying the Word of God alone is sufficient for meeting people's spiritual needs. Biblical doctrines and the principles those precious doctrines communicate are not deemed sufficiently relevant by themselves. More evidence comes from the rise of evangelical mysticism, the belief that the Christians ought to be able to hear a fresh word outside of Scripture from God. God speaking directly to them through, through rather strong impressions in the mind or some kind of voice in their head or some other mystical means 
communicating some fresh and relevant extra-biblical truth just for our day. But I just want to tell you, those who aren't convinced the Bible is sufficient revelation of truth will continually be looking elsewhere for more and more revelation in new and, quote-unquote, better mystical spiritual experiences. Beloved, listen, I understand. Of course, I would encourage the fundamental desire to know God more, to go deeper with God, absolutely. But I want to warn you, I want to warn you, if the pursuit of a closer walk with God leads you outside of this book, it is a dead-end road. If anything takes you out of Scripture, anything seeks to supersede Scripture or countermand Scripture, really it's worse than a dead-end road. It's a road that can lead to a place where we walk right into Satan's trap. You see, he wants us to doubt. It's his goal to get us to distrust the Word of God. He delights in getting us to believe, hey, there's just got to be more. And being the master deceiver, he takes it one step further. He's an expert in making it seem like it's a good thing to do that, like it's even a God thing for you to look beyond the help, the hope, the Bible for help and hope, for promise and for power. But listen, all, all the wisdom, all the power, all the guidance, all the joy, all the hope, all the love that we need resides in the inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God. Beloved, it's, it's, it's only when you and I will take the time, make it a discipline to actually read the Bible, study the Bible, obey the Bible, apply the Scripture, that we come to realize that it does have sufficient power to help us deal with any situation in life. Jesus said this, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God, and keep it. Jesus is saying to us, in effect, that all spiritual sufficiency is bound up in hearing and then obeying the Word of God. Now, normally we're talking about a blessed experience. We're talking about maybe some kind of emotional tingle or some kind of momentary sense of excitement. But Jesus is using the term here to describe an ongoing, blissful state of life. It's, it's continual, a life accompanied by peace and joy, meaning and value, hope and fulfillment, a life that's fundamentally happy, a life that's fundamentally content. And he's saying that it is a, obedience to God's all-sufficient Word that opens the door to that kind of life. So is the Bible sufficient to, to meet every problem of human life? Absolutely it is. And to say it is not, either by overt statement or by implicit action, is tantamount to calling God a liar, and it is to ignore and seriously undermine Paul's clear, self-explanatory instruction to Timothy, given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, where he says, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through your faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Beloved, that is the starting point for a biblical 
worldview. And it is the point to which all of us must inevitably and continually return in order to be able to evaluate and discern every competing philosophy and opinion that's coming at us from all directions these days. Scripture is true. Scripture is reliable. And above all, Scripture is sufficient to guide us in every aspect of developing a worldview that glorifies our Father. Now, having said all that, and listen, we just brushed the surface, really, when it comes to teaching doctrine concerning the efficiency of Scripture. I want us to understand, if we do not already know, that God's Word, working through God's Spirit, is God's primary instrument for growing God's church. Would you read that with me? God's Word, working through God's Spirit, is God's primary instrument for growing God's church. God creates and grows His church through the Word. God, God comes to us as individuals and, and as a church through His Word. He grows us as individuals and as a church through His Word, being communicated to us as we read it, as we listen, as we teach, as we preach. Let me illustrate it like this. Perhaps you've heard this before. I want you to picture in your mind. It's such a good illustration. It's so on point, I want to repeat it. Picture in your mind some church you've known. Any church out there, this church, just picture that church in your mind right now. Now I want you to take away the programs. I want you to take away the nursery. Get rid of that foyer out there. Take away the musical instruments, the pulpit, the podium, the platform itself. Take away the building. Take away everything but us, but the people, okay? Now imagine all of us, all the people of that church, standing out in this field. And you can, you can make it a bright sunny day, not a cloud in the sky, light breeze, warm spring day if you'd like. M make it as, as, as nice and flowery as you want. But the point is, we're all this there. It's just, it's just all of us standing out in a field. And once you have that church in your head, ask this question. What do we need to grow that church both spiritually and numerically? What do we need to grow that church both spiritually and numerically. Do we need the building back? Do we need the musical instruments or the bulletins? What must we have? Certainly we need water for baptism. That's an important, uh, necessary for constituting a church. We need those who would come and bring bread and cup for the Lord's Supper, important for constituting a church. Someone might say there are particular ministerial offices that are necessary for constituting the church. As a church, Paul says, establish elders, Right? Let's just set all that aside for right now. What is absolutely necessary for life and growth? The answer is God's Word working through God's Spirit. Repeat that with me. God's Word working through God's Spirit. Someone's got to pick up the Bible and read it. We've got to avail ourselves of that opportunity and listen to it. It's helpful if someone is there to, to maybe expound upon it and exhort us to be obedient. When that happens, beloved, when that happens, the Spirit begins to work on our hearts. It causes us to begin to believe these words. It gives weight to them, proper weight to them. We begin to repeat the Word in our songs and in our prayers. We discover most remarkably that we can speak to God, right? Guided by these biblical words. We begin to repeat God's Word to one another uh, during our work week. We, we help each other discern God's will for our lives. Our lives that begin to shape 
our lives begin to be shaped by those words so that we act differently at home or at work or at school. We begin to see things that are going on in the world around us, right? Differently from a biblical perspective. This is our lens through which we look at the world. But that's what a biblical worldview means. We, we discover that the words of God really are full of life and, and wisdom and hope and love, and we're quick to tell others who've not heard those words, hey, you need to hear this, because words, you see, produce actions. And then those actions and those words work together to give witness to the power of God unto salvation, Paul says, a salvation that begins right now and stretches throughout all eternity. I hope you believe that the Bible is central to all that we are as the children of God here at Richland Baptist Church. I want you to leave this place today encouraged to deepen your love for God's Word, to truly, truly treasure and store up His Word in your heart. Let me ask you, what is your ultimate goal in life? We began to take about, talk about that at the very start of the sermon, right? The ultimate goal or purpose for us as a church or individually was to glorify God. Now, we could say that in a couple of different ways. We could state it positively. We could state it from a negative perspective. If we want to state it positively, we could say something like, the ultimate goal of God, all of life, excuse me, is to glorify God through everything that we do or say or think. If we wanted to state it from a negative viewpoint, we could say the ultimate goal of life is to avoid the sin of making anything other than God our idol. They both mean the same thing. Because sinning is falling short of glorifying God by embracing something or someone over and above our Heavenly Father. So what I'm saying to you is that if we hope to glorify God by embracing Him wholeheartedly, we must first be on the path of avoiding sins or sin that fails to glorify Him. Part of the process of learning to glorify God is learning to avoid sin. Verse 11 in our text tells us one of the keys to avoiding sin. Let's read it together. Remember the psalmist is speaking to God here. This is a prayer. He says, I have, say it with me, I have stored up your word. And remember, that's hidden. That's treasured. I have stored up your word, here, read with me, in my heart that I might not sin against you. So then one way to avoid sin is to store up, to treasure, the King James Version says, to hide the Word of God in your heart. Which means that one key thing we can do to help us succeed in this goal that we have, this ultimate goal we have of glorifying God, living for the glory of God, is to treasure the Word of God in our hearts. So we're going to spend the remainder of the time we have this morning focusing on what that means. And we're going to use three key phrases. Your Word... I have stored up and in my heart. First, your word. Well, someone might ask, what word is the psalmist talking about here? Once you know, the word that the psalmist had in mind here was not some personal impression that he sensed when he was praying to God for God's guidance. No, it was what God had revealed to him in the written word. For the psalmist, that meant primarily the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the books of Moses, but also the prophets, right, who, who were sent by God to Israel, had written down things inspired by the Holy Spirit. Now, how do I know that? 
Well, we can see that because of the way the psalmist used so many familiar expressions for God's revealed word here in the very context of our passage. Look at verse 10. Let me not wander from your commandments. In verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. Again, in verse 13, with my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. And in verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Finally, in verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts. So there are those words, commandment, statutes, rules, precepts, testimonies. Those are all words that the Bible uses repeatedly to refer to the written word of God, especially in the book of Moses, but certainly by extension to all of God's word. So today, bring it to 2024. For you and me to apply this principle right there that we just covered, this truth in our particular context, your word would refer to what? How much of the Bible? All the Bible. Say all the Bible. Bible. So what the psalmist is talking about in verse 11 is not some sensory impression right there, okay? That's not what he's talking about. He's not, ta- he's, he's not talking about listening to God in prayer, but the clear, objective teachings from God out of His holy word. Your word, your word, right here, God's spoken word, stored up in my heart, hidden in my heart. Look at that, look at that phrase, in my heart. The psalmist here is making the point that this word to which he refers is within him. It is inside of me, he's saying. It's not just some parchment that I'm holding and I'm reading off of. The words themselves have become a part of his very makeup. They've become a part of his very being. They're not just written words for the psalmist. They're not just words on a page, the the text that's, that's outside of himself. These words of God are kept for his use for his help, for his wisdom, for his guidance. They are within him, in his heart. In the Old Testament, the writers, when they used the word heart like this, they were thinking of a place of thought or emotions, what they were trying to communicate. So for the psalmist, the words were stored up, they were hidden, they were treasured in a place where words could be weighed and considered and meditated upon and even felt. Now look at that second phrase, I have stored up. I have stored up your word, God. I've stored it up in my heart that I might not sin against you. Someone's going to ask, well, how do you know that the word of God is stored in the heart instead of simply the, the psalmist treasuring it in his heart while he reads the word from the parchment scroll? After all, I might say something like, I treasure Vicky. I treasure my wife with all of my heart. Of course, I wouldn't be saying that she's in my heart, right, literally, but that, I, but that I value her, I treasure her with all of my heart. The reason we know that the Word of God is in the heart is that this Hebrew word is used 30-some-odd times in the Old Testament, almost always to mean to hide or to store up. That use of the word treasure in the King James Version comes about because hiding is what you did with your treasures in the day before there was a bank vault, right? So, so we know that when the psalmist says, your word I have stored up in my heart, he, he does not just mean that the act of valuing it, he feels that in his heart, but that the word is actually being hidden and stored up in his heart because of its value 
he's saying it's a treasure. So, so the teaching here in this verse is that one way to keep from sinning, well, one way, a key way to glorify God with our lives is to store up the Word of God in our hearts as something precious. When we have the Word of God stored up and hidden in our hearts and treasured like gold or silver, that Word, energized by the Holy Spirit, will help us to avoid sin and glorify our Heavenly Father with the way we live our lives. Now understand, it's not just one thing, but both things that keep us from sinning. It's not just having the Word stored. It's not just treasuring the Word. It is both. Both are critical. We treasure the Word, and because we treasure it, we store it in the heart, and the combination of those two gives us the power to stand against the temptations to sin. So greater treasure, right? Greater treasure stored up in our heart, present and active, it's ongoing, it helps us to defeat sin. Now, how do we store up the Word in our hearts? You knew I was going to get here, right? Some of you are already rolling your eyes. We've got to spend time reading it, absolutely. But you know what I'm going to say? We've got to spend time memorizing it. Got to do it. Listen, memorizing Scripture is not a discipline for its own sake. It is because the Scriptures are full of treasured promises, and we often need to be reminded of those promises. I know many of you are saying to yourself, now here he goes again. He's talking about scripture, memorizing Scripture again. And you're right. I do talk about it fairly often, but only because it's so very important. The last thing I want to do is make anybody feel guilty because this is not something they're particularly good at. I know many of you simply believe you cannot memorize Scripture. You just got this mental block to it. But I want to ask you a question. If I said, I'm going to give you $100 for every verse you memorize this week. You come back next Sunday, you regurgitate that memorized verse. I give you $100 for every verse you memorize. How many verses do you think you'd memorize? If you knew I was going to be good on that, now you know I don't have that kind of money. Right? In Psalm 19, verses 10 and 11, God says of His Word, more to be desired. Listen now. I'm talking about His words. Are they than gold? Say better than gold. Even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey, and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Beloved, the word is worth more than $100 a verse. The question is, you have to ask and answer is, is it that important to you? Do you believe that? If you truly believe what Psalm 19 says, has to say about God's Word, that verse we just read, that ought to be all the motivation that you need to spend the time and the effort it would take to memorize a few verses of Scripture. Beloved, our Savior memorized Scripture, right? We know that because when He was confronted by Satan after, being, after fasting for 40 days and being, having every temptation in the world thrown at Him, right? He quoted first Deuteronomy 8.3, Jesus said, if you're the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. And he said, wait a minute. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to, a, uh, to the pinnacle of the temple and, said, and started, the devil started quoting Scripture. The devil had it memorized. He says, the angels will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. They'll care for you. You can step off of this and just fall. They'll catch you. No problem. And what did Jesus tell? He, he quoted Deuteronomy 6.16. You should not put the Lord your God to the test. 
The word says the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will merely fall down and worship me. Jesus said, be gone, Satan, for it is written. There's that memorization of Scripture again, right? You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels were ministering to him. Dallas Willard, professor of philosophy at USC, wrote, Bible memorization is absolutely fundamental to spiritual formation. If I had to choose between all the disciplines of the spiritual life, I would choose Bible memorization because it is, fundamental, it is a fundamental way of filling our minds with what it needs. This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth. That's where you need it. How does it get in your mouth? Say it with me. Memorization. But let me ask you, how strong is your faith? Some of the strongest Christians I have known in my life had so much Scripture memorized. And there's a reason for this. God designs us in such a way that our faith could feed on those promises each and every moment of each and every day. One of the life-giving nutrients to a strong faith is a steady supply of the precious promises that God offers in His Word. Proverbs chapter 22 puts it like this. It will be pleasant if you keep them. Did I get too far there? I did, didn't I? There it is right there. It will be pleasant if you keep them. That's the words of the wise, God's wisdom, within you. If all of them are ready on your lips, there's memorization again, that your trust may be in the Lord. I have made them known to you today, even to you. You know what I'm talking about. And you got more Scripture memorized than you would admit that you do. How about... If you're struggling with trusting God, someone throw a verse out there at us. You know this one, man. Proverbs 3, right? Trust in the Lord, right? With all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make straight your paths. How about if you're struggling with peace? Somebody give us a memorized verse, just right where you're at. You might want to do that. You know this. My peace I give to you, right? Not as the world gives to you, do I give to you? Right? Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. How about comfort? Somebody give me a verse on comfort. There you go. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Who comforts us in all of our afflictions. Somebody hit the nail on the head there. How about strength? Somebody give me one for strength. There you go. I use Psalm 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. How about joy? Well, you got this one, don't you? There you go. I love James. Count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How about hope? Somebody? Anybody? I love Psalm 34. When the righteous cries for help, the Lord hears them and delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is near to the broken heart, and He saves the crushed in spirit. One more. How about assurance? Somebody do one for assurance. Excuse me? Yep. The whole chapter. The whole chapter, Absolutely. What can separate us from the love of God, right? Amazing stuff, right? 
more than conquerors to him who loved us. I like John 1, 12, and 13. But to all who believe in him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Say, I'm a child of God. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, excuse me, man, but of God. God tells us that he's given us his word so that it will be within us and that we may trust in his goodness and his grace at work in our lives. Our faith is stronger if we regularly feed on the treasure of God's truth, which we have stored up in our hearts. I can't encourage you enough. We got a chance to demonstrate how much we treasure God's word this week, starting tomorrow. Those, those uh, forms are out there on the desk, starting with Genesis 1, of course, tomorrow, reading through the Bible chronologically as a church family in the coming year going to be a wonderful experience for us i hope and then starting on wednesday night many of you have signed up there's a few blanks out there i pray you'll go out there and, and fill those blanks before you leave today we have a chance to read aloud come in here and re- don't sit here and read to yourself now we'll have this set up with a chair you can sit here and read read out loud no matter if it's two o'clock in the morning you're the only one here we want to read it out loud and i want to encourage you to begin to work on memorization some of you already are and that's wonderful we all need to be memorizing some scripture every week. It's not as hard as you think it is. If you come see me, if you want a plan, I'll help you with the plan. Let's be like the righteous child of God described in Psalm 1. Blessed is the man or the woman who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water whose least does not wither, and everything he does, he prospers. The Bible, beloved, is necessary for us to know and trust and obey God. You've got to somehow hear the Bible's message, whether you read it yourself or somebody else reads it or expounds upon it in order to become a Christian. Paul said to Timothy, the sacred writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus in Christ Jesus. And faith comes from hearing the message. And the message is heard through the word of Christ. You and I must hear and keep on hearing the Bible's message to grow as a Christian and to glorify God in our lives. And that means hearing it read and preached and reading it and studying it and memorizing it, yes, and meditating upon it and applying it to our lives. The Bible, the Christian, needs the Bible like human beings need food and water. That's how necessary it is for us if we're going to grow. And that need never goes away. I don't care how long you've been a Christian. The need never goes away. That's why Peter writes, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. That pure spiritual milk is the living and abiding Word of God, the good news of Jesus Christ. Lord, I wonder, can you say with Job, I have treasured the words of his mouth more than my portion of food. Think about that one. I have treasured the words of his mouth more than what I get to eat every day. Mm. The Bible is necessary for more than our survival. It is our only infallible guide to navigate life wisely and in a way that glorifies our Father. Back to our purpose, right? Our passage today began with the question, how can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word, let me not wander from your commandments. 
I have stored up in your, your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. So one critical key to the glory of God coming down upon Richland Baptist Church in 2024 is going to be how we treat God's word. Let's treasure it. Let's store it up in our heart. And let's glorify the God who has given us this word. Would you pray with me? Father, we are thankful for your holy word, for your Holy Spirit that helps us to understand it, that prods us to spend time in it, that convicts us when we don't. We confess that we do not spend enough time in your word, Father. Father, we want a passion. We, we want to be like the psalmist in the desert, Father, panting for your word, desiring to, to spend time in it, quality time, reading your word and even memorizing your word. We pray for, for assistance, Father, your Holy Spirit to come alongside of us and help us in that process of memorizing your precious word. Father, we want it on our lips, ready on our lips, Father, when we encounter those in our community, in our workplace, in our schools that are dealing with some issue, Father. We pray we'd have a relevant word of truth from the word of truth, your holy Bible, that would speak something into their lives, Father. It would, it would help them and assist them and comfort them and draw them to your son, Jesus Christ. We need your word ready on our lips, Father. Draw us to it. Convict us to spend time in it. Help us to memorize it, Father. We want to be a church that honors your holy word because we read it, we revere it, and we obey it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.